0: Cast, who for the past ten years has dedicated itself to the discussion of and review of public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher. And with me is the woman who is thankful podcaster talkies because she can't stay silent. It's Lydia.
1: Oh, (laughs) God! you should hear me sing jazz.
0: (laughs) I actually thought you could have turned that one on me by actually not saying anything. (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I think that was last episode. So, you know, hate to repeat myself, but I'm yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: Lydia, it's wonderful to talk to
1: you with you again. As always, I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you.
0: Well, before we go any further, I want to first thank everyone else for listening to this month's episode. You likely already know this, but Orphan Entertainment is available wherever you can get your podcasts. And wherever you listen, if you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show. It really does help get the show out to more people. And another great way to help is just by sharing the episode you're listening to on whatever social media platform you use. You can follow the link in the show notes to all the social media sites that Orphan Entertainment has, also to our YouTube channel, and you can learn how to help the show financially. If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to OrphanedEntertainment at gmail.com. And I can't believe it, but we actually have two emails to read out on this month's episode.
1: That's phenomenal. I'm so excited. Uh
0: have we finally made it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we were literally overwhelmed with two emails. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Thank you for that joke, Jeremy Clarkson.
0: <laughs> there is a email here from Jack on the letter of introduction episode. He says, yeah, I only watched it for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. I don't think Bergen is wandering around doing random kind of comedy acts with his dummy, I think in the movie they are two different characters talking to each other. I've seen two later RKO, RKO movies with them. Oh, sorry, I think he meant to put the name of these films and he, I think he left placeholders and then never went back. No <laughs> <Tilted> <laughs> it in. When the rights holders does show them, it's often as a double feature, and the other characters treat Charlie as a real boy, if I may coin a phrase, while acknowledging that he's made out of wood. I'm not reading this letter very well. I'm sorry. It kind of went all over the place. It says It gets a little weirder. In these movies, Bergen is playing famous ventriloquist Edgar Bergen, and Charlie is put to bed one night. He entertains a crowd with an impromptu puppet made of his hand and a piece of cloth. These two movies made a point of showing not only scenes Edgar Bergen without Charlie McCarthy, but of Charlie McCarthy without Edgar Bergen. Easier on a radio program, I would guess or just referred to as in the comedy bit you played about Charlie stealing quarters when Bergen wasn't around. <laughs> anyway, thanks for the years of podcasting, Jack. Well, thank you very thank much, Jack, you. and I'm sorry I completely butchered that email, uh, your your letter, but I truly appreciate you sending that in.
1: Absolutely. That sounds, that's really interesting. That was, uh, my husband had mentioned he knew Charlie McCarthy from... Uh, Muppets, the sure. 1970 blah, movie, I think <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And, uh, and we watched it again the other night and um, it, you know, we have a, an international student staying with us and she'd never even heard of the Muppets. And so that was really interesting. And when Charlie McCarthy popped on, I knew who he was. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so, I felt like, yay! I finally have arrived. So thank you so much, Jack, for that letter. That was really, it's so interesting to know. I, I, I had no idea there were movies that showed Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen separately from one another. So that's – now I'm curious. I mean I've
0: definitely listened to several of the radio shows. And, yes, they do kind of portray themselves as separate entities like their mm-hmm. own, their little – they do their things or whatever. I just – the fact the idea of doing it in film
1: kind of – Is interesting. Yeah, it kind of baffles <laughs> well, me. I suppose it's kind of a precursor to Muppets where you oh, have absolutely. a puppet and not its, uh, gosh, handler. <laughs> what do right. you – what do you call a puppet? A uh, puppeteer. Puppets, a puppeteer. Well, pfft, oh my. Oh, and thanks folks for joining us. It's been a great <laughs> night. <laughs> oh man.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, our second letter just came from someone who uh, signed it a listener. So he'll remain anonymous. He says, Dear Lydia and Christopher. First of all, let me say that I love how your podcast shines a light on old forgotten movies. Obscure media and media preservation are both interests of mine, and your show caters to both those niches. Niches? Niche? Niche? Niches. Niches? I am writing today with a list of recommendations for the Orphan Entertainment podcast.
1: Oh, yay. It's
0: difficult for me to pin down which movies are officially in the public domain and which aren't, but all these films certainly are abandoned. I'm sure you you have a to-watch list a mile long, but it would be wonderful, wonderful if you could talk about any of these movies someday. He's... Suggests The Tale of the Fox from 1930, a stop-motion adaptation of the tales of Renard the Fox. This movie is engaging and humorous with a lot of jumping-off points for discussion. Usually I don't care for movies that focus on a trickster-slash-likable never-do-well, but there's all, but there's something different about this film. Maybe because the main through-line is that everyone is fed up with Renard's shenanigans and seeking justice. The movie is in French, but I had no trouble finding copies with English subtitles. Very interesting. Uh, international interesting. films also make it a little difficult. Uh, public domain laws are different depending on the nation. So, yeah, curious to know whether that one's public domain in the States ver- versus France or. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely something to look into. It sounds interesting. I love the idea of the stop motion.
1: Just what popped in my head was the fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm. But uh, I'd be really, it'd be difficult for me to watch a stop motion film about a fox without referencing the one that I (laughs) know best. But that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Uh,
0: Second film he recommends is called Hotel for Women from 1939. I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) I'd I'd like to be. Uh, This movie is about a woman who travels to New York City expecting to marry her her old beau, only to discover he's moved on. She decides to pursue a modeling career and soon finds competition for her affection after becoming the new It Girl. Fun to watch. For a moment, it looks like it's going to have something, serious and mature, to say about beauty standards and ageism, but unfortunately descends into melodramatic nonsense at the end. Well, spoilers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least he didn't say who she ends up with.
0: (laughs) In the third movie he recommends, or they recommend, I should say, Attack of the Puppet People from 1958. Wow. Note, the puppet people do not actually attack. The movie is about a group of people trying to escape the clutches of a mad scientist who has shrunk them down to doll size. It's been a while since I watched this, but I remember it as being surprisingly dark for a B-grade sci-fi flick. Thank you for all the hard work and effort you put into the show. I've been working my way through the archives, and I look forward to future installments. Sincerely, a listener. And thank you very much, a listener. That was awesome. And those films I will definitely look into. I think the puppet, Attack of the Puppet People is public domain. I have to double check that, but I believe it is. I have seen that film.
1: Maybe it's, you know, like a receptive attack. Like the puppet people are attacked. Like attack of the puppet people. As in I, you know, launched an attack of the puppet people. There you go. (laughs) All right, yes, I'm pushing it, but but it does sound interesting. All three of those sound really interesting, and especially, I think, I didn't realize that they were doing stop-motion films in 1930.
0: 1930, that's, yeah, that makes me really interesting. I'm I'm not surprised. Well, you think about stop-motion, like the original King Kong and everything included uh, stop-motion.
1: But Uh, that's as one individual in that movie, not as an entire cast. I'm imagining the tale of the foxes an entire cast of stop motion characters, which uh, the first thing I can think of the earliest thing I can think of that does that is of course, Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> you reindeer. <know? laughs> I'm sure there were earlier ones than that though. So it, I'm very interested to see the, the history on that or see something historical in that vein.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. No. So definitely I will, I will look into that. And uh, as I said, the uh, international makes it a little bit more of a gray area, but mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what I can come up with.
1: Maybe we can uh, uh, do an episode on some international ones that are public domain here, though maybe not where they're originated. Yes, yes,
0: I know we've we've kind of run into. I, I discovered it uh, when posting some of the films that were British films mm-hmm. that were considered public domain here in the United States, and uh, you get little. Oh, we're going to put ads because we own the rights to this film, mm. and, and it's some, you know, ITC or something, you know, mm-hmm. London. And I'm like, mm,
2: okay,
1: sorry. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, thank you very both to, uh, very much to both of you for sending those letters in. If anyone else has anything else, please feel free to email us. That's orphanedentertainment at gmail dot com. With that, I think we'll take a break. We'll listen to an Ellery Queen one minute mystery. And when we get back, we will take a look at 1927's The Jazz Singer.
2: Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. This is Ellery Queen with a case I call the Bathtub Murder. Popular and respected Chauncey Miles was found dead, electrocuted in his own bathtub, and the police asked me to join the investigation. A butler named Brady said that Mr. Miles must have electrocuted himself when he touched a radio by the bathtub. Do you always keep a portable radio by the tub, I asked? No, said the butler, and that's why he's dead, poor man. I searched the bathroom further, and when I found tiny scratches on a pipe near the tub, I knew I had a murderer, the butler. In a moment, I'll tell you
0: why. Are you looking for some great indie podcasts to listen to? Check out the Pod Nation list on podchaser.com, where you can find a list of great indie podcasts get links to their official websites, and even listen to some of their episodes without needing to create an account or log in. So once again, for some great indie podcasts, check out the Pod Nation list on
2: PodJaser.com. In the case of the bathtub murder, it's not possible to electrocute yourself in a tub with a portable radio. It's merely powered by batteries. The scratches I found on the pipe prove that the butler had wired the tub or murder. Again to Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries.
0: The Jazz Singer is a musical drama directed by Alan Crossland for Warner Brothers Pictures, and it is based on the 1925 play of the same title by Samson Raffleson. It is the first feature-length movie with synchronized music and dialogue thanks to Vitaphone's sound on disc technology. The soundtrack was not printed on the film itself, but issued separately on Phonograph Records. The discs, recorded at 33 and a third RPM and typically 16 inches in diameter, will be played on a turntable physically coupled to the projector motor while the film was being projected. In the early 1920s, Western Electric was developing both sound-on-film and sound-on-disc systems. The business was established at Western Electric's Bell Laboratories in New York City and was later acquired by Warner Brothers in April of 25. Warner Brothers introduced Vitaphone In 1926, with the premiere of their silent feature Don Juan, which had been retrofitted with a symphonic musical score and sound effects, but there was no spoken dialogue. The only actual talkie was a short film that opened the program, four minutes of introductory remarks by motion picture industry spokesman Will Hayes. A name that should sound familiar, he's the founder of the Motion Picture Production Code, or Hayes Code, that provided studios with moral guidelines to follow when producing their films can't imagine what he would have to say for four minutes that I'd want to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Don Juan was a commercial success, but was not able to recoup the enormous budget. Vitaphone almost ended up in Paramount's hands after the financial failure of Don Juan. Paramount head Adolf Zucker offered Sam Warner a deal as executive producer if he brought Vitaphone with him. Warner actually agreed, but Paramount hit their own financial issues when their biggest star, Rudolph Valentino, passed away. Sam Warner pushed for a second try with the Vitaphone, and that brings us back to The Jazz Singer. In The Jazz Singer, the story follows a son of a Jewish cantor, which is someone who leads the congregation in song and prayer, who bucks tradition and rather than following in his father's footsteps, wants to to sing jazz. After being caught singing jazz at a local bar, young Jackie Rabinowitz runs away from home to follow his dreams. Finding success as Jack Robin. He eventually returns to New York to appear on Broadway. He visits his mother and attempts to reconcile with his father, but to no avail. Jack finds he is torn between his success and his love for his family and heritage when his father falls ill and can't lead the service on the eve of Yom Kippur. Al Jolson, born Asia Yolson, was a singer, comedian, actor, and vaudevillian. Although best remembered uh, today as the star of The Jazz Singer, he actually starred in a, series, a set series of successful musical films during the 1930s. After being introduced to show business in 1895 by a vaudeville performer named Al Reeves, Lisa and his brother Hirsch became fascinated by show business, and by 1897, the brothers were singing for coins on local street corners using the names Al and Harry. In 1902, Jolson accepted a job with Walter L. Maine's circus as an usher. Walter Maine was impressed by Jolson's singing voice, however, and gave him a position as a singer during the circus's Indian medicine side show segment. After the circus closed, Al, bounced from burlesque to vaudeville, often performing with his brother Hirsch, who was now officially going by the name Harry. While performing in a Brooklyn theater in 1904, Jolson began performing in blackface, which boosted his career, and he began wearing blackface in all his shows. And many successful musicals and plays followed for the next couple decades. 1921, the play Bombo, in which Jolson was appearing, became so successful that it went beyond Broadway to performances nationwide. It uh, led Lee Schubert to rename his theater Jolson's 59th Street Theater. At the age of 35, Jolson was the youngest man in American history to have a theater named after him. On the opening night of Bombo, the first performance at the new theater, he suffered from stage fright walking up and down the streets for hours before showtime. Out of fear, he lost his voice backstage and begged the stagehands not to raise the curtains. But when the curtains went up, he was shoved onto the stage by his brother Harry. He performed and received an ovation. For several minutes, the applause continued while Al stood and bowed after the first act. He refused to go back on stage for the second act, but the audience stamped its feet and chanted, Jolson, Jolson, until he came back out. He took 37 curtain calls that night oh, My goodness! and told the audience, I'm a happy man tonight. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Before the jazz singer, Jolson starred in a short talking film called A Plantation Act. This simulation of a stage performance by Jolson was presented in a program of musical shorts demonstrating the Vitaphone's uh, phone sound film process, and the soundtrack for *A Plantation Act* was considered lost, but it ni- was considered lost in, in 1933, but was found in 1995 and restored. So that is out there if you guys want to go and listen to that. Warner Brothers actually picked George Jessel for the role in the jazz singer, as he had starred in the Broadway play. When Sam Warner decided to make the jazz singer a musical. Uh, and with the Vitaphone, he knew that Jolson was a star he needed. After Jessel balked at the idea of having to sing, Warner easily replaced him with Jolson. Now, there is a wealth of information on Al Jolson to be found, and I have barely scratched the surface, so I do encourage you to go and seek it out. He had a long and incredibly successful career. Very, uh... Very interesting person, uh, despite, you know, uh, obviously there is a, uh, the discussion to be had on the blackface.
1: There is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there is. And I I was trying to rack my brain to remember if we had, on this podcast, talked much about blackface in the past.
0: We have not. I think this is the first time it's really come up.
1: And I, I, I remember, or at least I, I remember finding it. I may, I think I remember mentioning being shocked to find a clip of uh, Fred Astaire in blackface in one of his movies, Swing Time, I believe it is. I do,
0: re- I do re- believe you mentioned that at some point.
1: Yeah, but and so you know, and of course, in today's heated environment, it's hard to have a conversation about it without being worried that you'll uh, come across the wrong way. Rather than have a conversation about it, I have, um, I found an article talking about Jolson and talking specifically about his use of blackface. And there are a few paragraphs I'm going to read. If it's interesting, we can keep it in. If it's not interesting, we'll cut it out. No, please. I'm, <clears throat> I'm very interested. Okay. So this is uh, from an article from Ferris state university. This is into the article a bit, but I just found it really interesting, particularly because of our modern views on blackface. This is, you know, my, I'm a big fan of finding out what things really meant in the contemporary sense of when they were happening. That's just part of what makes this so such an interesting podcast to me. So I'm just going to read this. This is part of that article. It says, quote, The irony is, of course, that Jolson is most derided for his intense insen- sorry, insensitivity to issues of race and ethnicity. In fact, his career was distinguished by a more heartfelt understanding of these matters than the vast majority of his contemporaries. Even in the cinematic scenes most lambasted, for example, when Jolson sings My Mammy in blackface toward the close of the jazz singer, the symbolic resonance is more open-ended than the stereotyped image might suggest. The scene comes when Robin is singing to his own mother, Sarah, who sits in the audience and deals more directly with the issue of Jewish assimilation and the family tensions it creates than with any attempt to demean blacks in a theme that, in fact, plays no part in the jazz singer at all. Was Jolson a racist? Still quoting. Was Jolson a racist? Although he was guilty of many faults, Jolson showed no overt signs of ethnic hatred. Indeed, the songwriter and performer Noble Sissel, sorry, Sissel or Sissel, a longtime partner of the ragtime pioneer U.B. Blake, recalled Jolson's unprompted act of kindness after a Hartford restaurant refused to serve the two black musicians. A local newspaper mentioned the incident, and Sissel later recalled... Quote, to our everlasting amazement, we promptly got a call from Al Jolson. He was in town with the show, and even though we were two very unimportant guys whom he'd never heard of until that morning, he was so sore about that story, he wanted to make it up to us. Unquote. The uh, next evening, Jolson treated Cecil and Blake to dinner, insisting that, quote, he'd punch anyone in the nose who tried to kick us out. Unquote. <laughs> but what about the blackface? Still quoting, some of Jolson's defenders have argued that the tradition reflected here is as old as Plautus and classical Rome, if not older, the theatrical presentation of the slave as comic and a sly commentator on the world of masters and rulers. Jolson has recreated an ancient type, Gilbert Seldes said in 1923, the scalawag servant with his surface dullness and hidden cleverness. That's the end of the quote from that, that okay. article. I love that they bring it back around to saying, in ancient times, the use of the slave of whatever race, as a commentator, allowed the, the playwriter to point out the ridiculousness of society, mm-hmm. at whatever mm-hmm. point that was, whether it was the Roman era or the Victorian era or the, you know the jazz era, the ability to look at society and say, "You guys think you're all that." But I can see what's really going on here.
0: It's a little bit like uh, the modern equivalent of like upstairs, downstairs sort of thing. Um,
1: yes, yeah, very, very similar to that, and and that's a great analogy there. That and that's actually something that we can identify with without being quite as shocked by it. But I think especially in his in his portrayal that we see, it's kind of random. It feels kind of random because there is no overt racial commentary in it it's just a costume that he's putting on and then he he doesn't even sing very um ethnic songs two of the songs he sings while in blackface are in my as far as i can tell they're not ethnically based at all and the third one as that article points out he's actually singing to his mother and so it it's in all of the instances of this caricature that you'll ever see i feel like this is the one that you're going to have the hardest time poking at unless you're just looking for a reason to be offended
0: yeah that was something that surprised me when i'm watching this film i knew that there was the blackface and everything and i guess i was expecting a certain performance in that blackface and Yes. yes he performs and he does it in blackface but the blackface is you really feel like why bother with the blackface
1: he could, yeah, he could be in anything. He could be dressed as a chicken. He could be yeah. dressed in a dress, and it wouldn't change anything to the theme of his performance.
0: Right. I was it, really expecting like you. Uh, you see clips sort of like the old minstrel shows, and you got the the mm-hmm. really really bad racial stereotype uh, kind of.
1: Uh, oh, Fred Astaire's performance in Swing Time, which you know, again, I wasn't alive at that time. I. I can only extrapolate from my own experience and opinion, but this doesn't feel like that. This feels like a, a costume that this guy has worn for his performances for a large part of his career. For and he's some not reason. Yes. Yeah. And he, yeah. And he's not using it to try and become a different individual in a way. He doesn't change his mannerisms or his singing voice for the for if I really even for the last song, he's singing the words of the song, right? And he behaves the same at the beginning of the movie when he's singing. At a, a dinner, I guess a, a restaurant, like right. a steak and eggs place, his mannerisms and his expressions are the same in that moment as they are at the end of the movie when he is done up in this costume. Interested to hear other people's opinion on it. I found that article really interesting. And if anybody would like to reference it again, uh, it was published by Ferris State University online. And I think it had some really interesting points to it. But I especially liked that it showed it provided that history of the the um I'm trying to think of the right way to put it like I think you put it well the upstairs downstairs that pe- perspective of a of a class of people that can see how ridiculous society is and mm-hmm. commentate on it without you know without drawing societal ire yep
0: yeah, so I was really expecting to see the blackface and really kind of cringe a little bit more than I did i I just left watching the film going well i don't i don't know why he does it but Mm. you know obviously it worked for him he got a very successful career it was of the time um sort of thing i guess Mm -hmm. so i don't know i'm not gonna sit there and um say it's okay but (laughs) in this film it's certainly not as egregious or uh in I guess, offensive as I was expecting it to be.
1: That was what I had. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's fantastic. I think it's
0: something we definitely needed to talk about and kind of sort of get out of the way early on. <laughs> you c- certainly can't ignore it.
1: You know, that it's not the subject that we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss classic films, not racial bias. <laughs> so <laughs> so looking at it from that perspective, let's move forward. And I really am interested in talking about some of the action in this movie, some of the acting and the um man the emotion of this movie i came into this movie expecting sort of the portrayal of the jazz singer as it's done in singing in the rain okay. like anybody that's seen singing in the rain they reference the jazz singer and then they show this montage of musical you know musical movies becoming a big thing and All the music in it is real upbeat and peppy and like, of course, it was made when Singing in the Rain was made and is not actually contemporary music to the jazz singer at all. But I had expected it basically to just kind of be an extravaganza and just a, hey, look what we can do now with film and not necessarily have any depth of plot or any real thread of um, character growth or, you know, anything like that. And coming into this movie, even not paying very close attention the first time I watched it, first off, I was really startled that it was about a a Jewish kid from the Bronx, I I suppose, that just doesn't want to go sing in the synagogue anymore. I thought, oh, my gosh, this is not the theme I expected from a 1927 movie, especially we're talking pre-World War II here. And there's a lot, if you want to talk about a little bit of racial prejudice in this movie, there's a lot of racial prejudice at this time in our country, obviously not just against uh, African Americans, but hugely against Jewish people as well. So I was actually really surprised that they made the main character and the main family in this movie a very traditional um jewish background really interested me
0: and the story and the plight that this family was going through was something that a lot of immigrant families i mean were probably dealing with because Mm -hmm. we have got jackie rabinowitz the young child who's maybe what 13 years old or so at the start of the film yeah Mm -hmm. he's very likely was born in the states or came over from germany or wherever they came from
1: he even says it later he says father you're of the old world but if right. you had been born here like me you'd understand
0: okay so there so yeah he was born in the states and you know there's different opportunities for the people that they, they, they're they see you know the, the younger generation they see the world differently than this than their parents did who have, who mm-hmm. have come over and yeah their parents are still very much you know tradition you're know, like you know fiddler on the roof tradition <laughs> yes this, this kid doesn't want that because there's all these opportunities out there in the world that's granted to him that his parents didn't have when he mm-hmm. when they were his age. And that was probably going on a lot because, you know, his parents weren't born in the States. They are definitely, I, I get the impression, were first-generation uh, immigrants, and they still had a lot of that old-world baggage
1: and also the expectations that the son is going to do what the father did,
0: right? And which is was, which is probably what would have happened had they still been in the mother country,
1: wherever that. Yeah, absolutely, wherever they immigrated from. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so yeah, I thought that was a very interesting uh, story. I was like, wow, that's probably actually very uh, poignant for the time because I'm yeah. sure a lot of families were going through that.
1: Yeah, well, and so then the next theme becomes, you know. Aside from the father not wanting him to debase himself through what he perceives as being, you know, a heathenistic past- pastime, which there are a bunch of us, I'm sure, that can identify with that. Then, you know, he says, you know, I, I, he, he reaches for the belt and starts undoing the belt. And any of you guys that know, like I do, what that's like, you are you know, he goes and he grabs his mother and they both, the the emotion shown by the boy that plays young Jackie, Robert Gordon um which uh, this is a 1927 movie you're not gonna you don't expect deep dramatic action and everything's a little sped up and a little bit clippy but even with that you see this kid's terror of his father Mm -hmm. you know this very natural fear of his father and especially his father's belt you know and you know, and and then he this whole interaction, this whole scene where the mother is saying, no, no, don't do it. And, you know, and then mercifully, she's we stay with her when she's closed out of the bedroom. But we see her reaction to the sounds she's hearing. And she's, you know, just so upset by it. And it just it carries the emotion through with this entire thing. And of course, you know, Jackie's reaction is he he says, that's it, I'm done. And he runs away and the mother is just crushed and. There, uh, the the scene that follows this is there's a juxtaposition of the father who's a cantor at their local synagogue, he's singing, and then Jackie sneaks back into the house to take his mother's uh, his mother's picture, and it is so moving. It's sad, and it's like this religious experience. It feels like. Here's this boy sneaking in. He's so afraid and he's sneaking back into the house to get the picture of the person that he loves the most in the world. I'm going to cry just talking about this. <laughs> it's just and then the the music that's overlaid with it makes it so much more powerful. Again, I just was from the very beginning of this movie, aside from being a little bit surprised at the this singing in the bar which wasn't what I was expecting, but then pretty quickly goes over to Al Jolson, which is, he is really a phenomenal you know performer but this whole depth of this emotion and this you know sort of tragic but also heroic story at the beginning of this of this boy running away to go pursue what he dreams about it just really grabbed me i i wasn't expecting that out of this movie i was expecting you know chorus girls and and big costumes and right. a lot of music and not a lot of plot. And to get pulled immediately into this family struggle was kind of phenomenal.
0: This film was obviously very famous because of the, the whole, the, the sound sync and the talking and everything. But I, I think even without that as a silent picture, it's well ahead of its time.
1: Oh, I agree. Um,
0: you mentioned that you, you thought everything was a little fast and clippy. I think Compared to a lot of silent films of the era, this actually feels, the the way the acting is, the the performances, they it feels very ahead of its time.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. And the, the reference to the speed isn't saying that it's obnoxious. It's saying it's just something you know you're going to see in a film from this era. Some things are going to be a little sped up. Some, some things are going to be a little unnaturally fast. But... You know, in some reactions, people are gonna grab each other a little quicker than they would in actual interactions in real life. But um, yeah, none none of it felt jarring to me in a negative way at all. And then from there, we we clip ahead to many years and three thousand miles away. Is that right? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I think well. To... He's in. Um, yeah, probably. Cause I think he's probably like in Chicago or something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, to when... Jackie
1: as a is a man.
0: Right, as, yeah, as Jack Robin now, and he's actually, you know, found a lot of success. He was saying, I think he at some point, uh, what did he say, he was making like two fifty a week or something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Did you do the math? I did the math. I I did not do the <laughs> math. I saw the math, and it was still it was
0: several thousand dollars a week. I the did the math.
1: Money. It was like four thousand dollars. It's the equivalent of two hundred thousand dollars a year now. Yeah. It was good money and well and i i question whether he was being well i at the moment i questioned whether he was being strictly honest or whether he was just trying to keep his mom cheerful but then you know eventually he comes back with gifts and she mentions real diamonds that was right that was in his letter <laughs> to his mom wasn't it that mm-hmm, he, he it was yeah yeah but he so he uh he's at this lunch or dinner place and it I feel like he's singing for his lunch in this this is before he writes that letter to his mother it feels like he's singing to his for his lunch and he gets up there and he first he does this song uh dirty hands dirty face Mm -hmm. and it's and as he's singing along this is a, a great example of a type of song we don't have anymore
2: Wonderful pals are always hard to find Some folks have one Some folks have none When I was alone for years But fate was kind And in the end Sent me a friend Although he's not much higher Than my knees Still, he's the greatest thing on earth to me. Dirty hands, dirty face, leads the neighbors to chase. But his smile is as cute as can be. Making noise, breaking toys. Always fighting the boy
1: But his eyes
2: they a vision to see And when my work is done Coming home To the setting sun From the gate He'll start to run And then I'll kiss My boy Dirty hands Dirty face Little devil
1: that's what they say, but an angel of a joy. This is literally a guy singing about his little boy, and it's bizarre. It, like it's it, thinking about it, it's kind of bizarre. We don't have songs like this anymore. It's like we have songs to children, but we don't have songs just talking about how much we love our kids. Mm-hmm. And so, it's really interesting watching Jolson who in the movie doesn't have any kids, by the way, certainly not. We don't think he does it anyway. And and
0: had a rather poor, um, you know, experience with his own father,
1: with his own father. Yeah. But he had, you know, a great, a great experience with his mother, I suppose. But he, his expressions and his drama there, there's a point where he meets Mary in this scene and she says, you have a tear in your voice Mm -hmm. and his, the, drama from not only from his singing but from his facial expressions you really believe him and that you know there's not there's no it's not that there's nothing melodramatic about the story you don't feel like the characters are melodramatic it's uh it feels very genuine coming from him definitely contemporary of his time and definitely you know again you're watching a 1927 movie but you really believe him you're not he it doesn't feel like he's in a burlesque or putting on a, you know, folly or something like this. You, she, when she says you have a tear in your voice, you really believe that he really feels this way. It's not about his own child, about somebody.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that scene up. I was going to mention it as well, because that is the moment when I'm watching this film, we had seen a couple musical bits prior to this. Mm -hmm. Um, We saw him, you know, the young child singing in the, in the bar. And we saw the, um, the service the at the synagogue you know mm-hmm. doing it and the you know you you could hear the music and everything and that's fine but when jolson gets up and does that performance and you hear him singing you hear the band playing you hear the people clapping and and, and banging their spoons and forks onto the table <laughs> and everything yeah and he does that first number and then he stops
2: nothing yet wait a minute I tell you you ain't heard nothing you want to hear choo 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 all right hold on hold on no listen play choo 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 three chorus you understand know and the third chorus I whistle now give it to him hard and heavy go right ahead Heraus- see. goodbye choo 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 don't cry the little choo choo train that takes me away from you you don't know just how sad it makes me kiss me pretty and then ow ow do it over again watch for the mail i'll never fail if you don't get a letter then you know i'm in jail hey hey don't cry don't cry kiss me goodbye
0: 19, or Even in 2023, I'm watching that, you know, having grown up in the age of talking films and special <laughs> effects and computer graphic and all that stuff. I saw that and I just, the hairs in the back of my neck went up. There is nobody that could have seen that film in 1927, oh. saw that scene and didn't think things are going to change. Yeah. This is... That had to have been absolutely mind blowing. That it was like to the, see uh, him
1: speaking, yeah, because yes. you're right. Up till now, we've had music twice, but for for the music to stop and for somebody to just speak in a film, yeah, it had to have been. Uh, you know, I'm sorry for the analogy, but the Matrix that's yeah, no, probably that, the closest thing your, we have. This was or your Star Matrix Wars. moment,
0: this was your yes. Avatar moment, your yeah, Star this,
1: Wars moment. Uh, this
0: is uh, uh Jurassic Park mm-hmm. would probably be a great example because that's re- really when the first. CGI kind of really came into play. Mm
1: -hmm, Where it looked realistic in the moment where you really believed it.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: A massive change to the technology of the time.
0: I'm just thinking that there must have been movie producers that are going,
1: sound, (laughs) it'll never catch on.
0: I, I don't think they could have watched that scene and not went, Oh crap
1: <laughs> yeah yep we better we we're gonna have to retrofit everything in our studios yeah yeah and and to have the the idea of up until now you have young women that are watching these actors on the stage and they don't know what they sound like unless they've heard them on the radio at some point, mm-hmm. but to now have to it goes from a two dimensional character on a screen to suddenly feeling like a warm living human, and it's. I mean, like, no wonder Jolson became so popular. Even – I I, I understand that he was very popular and did extremely well even before this. But I have to imagine that after this movie, his – i sorry for the term, but his fan base exploded. <laughs> 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 his fan club at the time probably must have just gone insane. No, no
0: it, I, I completely yeah. agree.
1: And then he goes into his next routine – his next song that he does right there – following right up to it he does this whistle thing mm-hmm. which blew my mind okay and genuinely i googled did al jolson really make that whistle sound and that, i don't know i didn't find a definitive answer if if it wasn't really him making that whistling sound then darn they did a pretty good job of faking it and if it was really him holy cow i've never heard anybody <laughs> do that yeah, like incredible. you know later on Bean crosby does a little bit of whistling in his songs this is not like that <laughs> this is it's kind of mind-blowing it i am genuinely irritated by people whistling in songs i mean like to the point that i want to just kick them in the shins i didn't feel that way about this because i was just watching him going how the heck is he doing this (laughs) and and if it was a gag and if he's not really doing it i they fooled me it was pretty amazing
0: (laughs) yeah it's a fantastic scene it is just it is like i said it is the scene that Everything changes after that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly what the minute count was in the film, <laughs> but that's that's the moment in
1: 1927 that everything changed. And, and it's even so wild. Even within the movie, this is a moment where a lot changes for him. He meets oh, Mary. Absolutely. And I love their meeting each other. I love the I love the chemistry between Mary and Jack. I love that she seems like a real person. I want to talk in a little bit about one particular thing that she does that just blew my mind in a 19, 1927 movie. Just really, really just gave – I just wanted to just jump out of my chair and hoot, you know. But, um, but I, I like that you believe them. You believe not only are they – I love that in their introduction, you don't have batting eyelashes and you don't have a swoony look or somebody, you know, like – you don't have long, deep – Oh, you don't have Twilight stairs. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they 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 interact the way people that are interested in each other really interact the first time they meet. They both want to talk really fast, and they are excited to meet each other. He knows who she is, you know, but he's trying really hard not to gush. It's so cute, and they do it so well. I, I ah, the, you said this is the movie. This is the scene that changes everything. And you meant f- in filmmaking, but I th- think it's also a pretty great standalone scene on its own. I'm, I was going to say this a little later. Uh, I'll try. I'll try and save it for later. But yeah, we'll keep going on. And from here, we see Mary's a dancer. She's on the stage um, doing. I su- I suppose it's ballet. Is it ballet? Is it jazz dance and ballet?
0: She's doing a little bit of ballet. She's definitely up on toes and, and yeah. everything. So.
1: <laughs> and uh, Jack is backstage watching her. And then she gets done. And, you know, he's gushing over. And did you catch who the chorus girl is? I did see that. that it's was- Myrtle Loy! Yes! <laughs> I was so excited. The first time I watched it, I thought that lady looks just like somebody I know. Who the heck is it? And the second time the name came to me, and I was like, Ah, oh, this is fantastic. This is only six or seven years before The Thin Man. Mm-hmm. But I imagine at this time she was completely unknown. I wonder, you know, if people didn't... I, I would. Le- I probably need to look up some Myrna Loy, but I wonder if this didn't help her along in her career just being in this movie, because this movie must have been watched and watched and watched. She
0: has a very brief appearance and one line, if you can call it that, <laughs> since it's a silent film, but
1: yeah yeah <laughs> but no i was so thrilled to see her and to recognize her it's just it's not even a bit part but, but it was still fun to get us to here and uh and at this point mary gets her uh her telegram telegram on my dad's birthday by the way oh, side yeah? note oh, there happy that? birthday dad but, you know <laughs> not today but <laughs> and is uh is leaving the show to go to new york yeah and this movie clips right along. Man, there's not a dull moment. It, it really does.
0: And I I actually, you, you mentioned their relationship. And I loved their relationship because it wasn't the movie relationship where they meet one day and they're a couple the next. Yes. Uh, they, I mean, you go through the film, you know, she's going to New York and you're kind of like, do they like each other? I mean, he obviously has a thing for her, but does she feel the same for him? And you kind of get the... You know, well, oh, I, I guess I'll be going, you know, kind of stuff and whatever. It's Like, oh, you sit there. It's the kind of relationship where you're sitting there going, "Tell her."
1: You know? <laughs> I think it's subtle. I love that it's yes. subtle. I love that the the chorus girls are saying, "Oh, you know, he's what does he say? She, he's sure nutty about her or something like mm-hmm. that." And then she says, "He'll never get with Mary because Mary, like, he never he doesn't have a chance because she cares more about her career than anything." And I don't remember the exact phrasing um but that's that's you get that you know what she's gonna leave him to go to new york because that's who she is that's her character and but i do love that as she's about to go you know he's like well it was, you know great i'm really sorry we won't you know be together and you know be headlining On together anymore. And, right and she says will you write to me and his face lights up and mm-hmm. he's like I mean, that's the equivalent of like, call me again, you know, right. <laughs> and it's, I think it's cute. I think you've got this idea that, you know what, these people are on their, their separate tracks, but they're not necessarily separated forever.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And in fact, it, it seems that she's, uh, who he has to thank for getting a chance in New York, mm-hmm. uh, you know, down the road.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I, I like the fact that he doesn't take any kind of, um, offense at that or anything. Uh, you could have easily seen this well ugh, i wanted to get here on my own merits you know no he took it as like well this is great <laughs> this is my opportunity
1: thank you very yeah. much yeah yeah i really like that too and i i especially like that it's not you know she's not luring him in she's not stringing him along she sees talent and she's like hey i want to give you a leg up you mm-hmm. know and uh and then she's like hey my career's going this way it was great to see you keep in touch so, yeah. And, and, man, this movie, it just keeps clicking, clipping around, along. Uh, we, see, uh, we see Jack finds a, a placard about a, a special performance by Cantor Rosenblatt. Mm-hmm. And I looked into Rosenblatt just a little tiny, tiny, tiny bit. There's not very much out there about him. He was actually a Cantor, like an actual real Cantor and apparently fairly famous for it. And I love that they, they build him as himself. Yeah. And so presumably this is the equivalent of having Charlie McCarthy do a bit part in your movie. But <laughs> it's real I just found it really interesting and the and of course his singing is beautiful. <laughs> It's so the the traditional songs that are sung in this. I love that there's no caricaturing done in this movie. Mm-hmm. I love that all of the um, all of the Jewish people are, you know real people and devout and even the ones that have you know flawed characters yeah was it the uh, <laughs> like <like> <laughs> yeah e- even, even the flawed characters they still feel real they don't feel like a caricature mm-hmm. and so I, I just really enjoyed and you get this moment you get this moment of Jack listening to Rosenblatt sing and you can see him feeling those that tugging at his heartstrings mm-hmm. saying ah oh, you know I he misses that facet of his life, but he's not dropping into despair here, questioning his purpose and his path. He's just going back and going, "Oh, that was a beautiful time," or "Wow, this is beautiful music." and right.
0: well, it's showing that he still has a connection to his heritage. Yes, he hasn't exactly. completely ignored it or or turned his back to it.
1: That was much more succinctly put than I was saying. Thank you <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: I think that was right before he ends up going and visiting his mother again.
1: It is. Well, it's pretty quick there. Um, There's a couple of things that happen. He he gets booted out of the show that he's in. And you can tell this is after a little bit of time. You know, you get treated to a couple of other characters, you know, showing up in his show that are talking about, yeah, he really deserves top billing. There's a, a... quintessential fat lady I suppose you'd call her as in the fat lady sings not commenting on her size but you know that's who she seems to be and um and you know saying oh if they give him my spot again in the billing that I'm just gonna quit that's right
0: that's right he saw Rosenblatt when he was still in Chicago wasn't he yeah yeah yeah. he he found out it was just prior going boarding the train to go wherever they were gonna go that mm -hmm. he gets the 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 letter like oh nope you're cut sorry yeah
1: Yep, and he says, "But how is this possible? Like, I've been I've been knocking him dead every night." And the guy waits for everybody else to get on the train, and he says, "No, you're going to New York City." And he <laughs> yes. goes, "Oh, don't tease me. I already feel bad enough." And he says, "No, seriously. Here's your ticket. Here's your ticket. You're the going." Train's to coming. New York. Yeah yeah, and he's and he's, you know, and he it's, oh gosh, this moment where he says, I'm going back to New York. I'm going back to home. I'm going to see Mother. And he's like, so excited. And I love there's this moment. And I don't know if anybody else picked it up, but when he, when they say you're going to New York and they give him the ticket, it plays the first lines from "Give My Regards to Broadway." Yes. Give My Regards to Broadway, and I went, "Oh, this is this is the soundtrack to this is so good." The the music to this gives hits every just it hits every point perfectly through this whole conversation i really enjoyed this through the whole conversation he's having there's kind of some jaunty music playing but when he's told you're you've been cut from the show like you've been canceled at the next stop it kind of it's still kind of jaunty but then it kind of has a little bit of a a bit of a drop to it and it's still trying really hard to be cheerful but then when he finds out that he's actually going to broadway it pops into this give my regards to broadway it's so great like i don't i don't know we talk about sound design these days <laughs> and, <laughs> and i can't think of off the top of my head of any other clear first example of sound design in a movie where it's musically really put to intentionally mirroring the 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 emotions of the people in the sh- in the scene so clearly not before this time i can't think of anything else maybe i'm just not as well versed <laughs> as yeah, other people
0: I, I don't know maybe it's because this is a film that was it was very intentional to have this soundtrack to it
1: it had it had a Designated. Soundtrack. So many
0: other silent films of the era, and and that ones that preceded this, some had scores that would mm-hmm. travel, others mm-hmm. didn't, and it was just up to the local theater to have you know the guy down in the organ that played that just, came up with his own thing or yep, whatever. Exactly. So maybe it's because this one was so intentional that they mm-hmm. actually well, they were intentional with the music choices.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I don't imagine that there, that this never happened in any other movie until this time, but I don't know of any clearer example of it before this. No,
0: absolutely. Yeah, again, it, going back to what I was saying, I mean, it's famous for being the talkie, you know, stuff. But honestly, this film, even if it was just a silent film, if it didn't have any talking in the film. I still mm-hmm. think this would be, should certainly still have its place in history.
1: I, it's, yeah, it, this is what I was trying not to say a minute ago. This movie is known because of the, because of what we're just talking about, the soundtrack of it. But realistically, <laughs> this movie wouldn't have survived with the fame that it has if it weren't such a good story. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would have been listed as that one movie that started it, but it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have gone on to be so well-known. It wouldn't have necessarily been shown so frequently at the time that it was and studied since then. It just is an excellent movie overall. You
0: you maybe would see clips of the film played. Yes. But the film itself maybe wouldn't have been, you know, chosen by the library of Congress to be preserved or anything. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm it wouldn't have that. Yeah. Like you said, you know, it wouldn't be you know, shown in schools and, and, and discussed and talked about and re- reviewed on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: not, not in its full, full length. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. So man, so we go from this It clips. Are, I was totally surprised. This is only about halfway through the movie. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was so much further. The second time I watched it and I was looking at the timestamp going, how is there another 40 minutes of this movie? But there it's, Cuts from here, he heads off to New York. We know he's on his way there, and we cut back to his mother. She, her hair has gone gray, and it's her fa. It's not her father's birthday. It's her husband's birthday. It's the Cantor's birthday, and they. There's this little <laughs> moment here where he. She's got him a prayer shawl, and her friend has gotten him a prayer shawl, and then right. uh, the, the his friend Udelson shows up and has also gotten him a prayer shawl. Oh, just what he needed. Just what he needed, and then and then. We cut away, and, and it's just this funny little moment, and then we cut away, and uh, Jack runs into Udelson leaving the building, and they recognize each other. He goes up to see his mother, and he gives her the, oh, gosh, I got to pause here. When he comes in and sees his mother and says, mother, and she doesn't even turn around. She just straightens up, and you could hear her in your brain go, <gasps> And you know, and then she turns around. Oh my gosh, my heart breaks. Every time I watch this, it is so just heart wrenching. It has been what 20 years probably since he's seen her. And oh my gosh, what a scene. There are aren't a lot of movies. It's sure, there sure as heck aren't a lot of silent movies where I'm watching them just with a tissue in my hand. Yeah, tugging the I'm just, Oh,
0: my oh, gosh. The, the relationship between him and his mom, I mean, even though the father has pretty much disowned him, you know, I don't have a son kind of thing. She has stayed in uh, contact in that, you know, he would write her letters mm-hmm. and uh, she apparently can't read but she would have uh, Yodelson come and, and read it. And they'd sit there and like, oh, read that part again about the girl, you know?
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah. So he's kept in touch. and Yes. You but, know,
0: but they, yeah, but they haven't seen each other. It, yeah, Like you said, it must be at least 15, 20 years.
1: Yeah, for a really long time. And I love, you know, it's kind of funny. Like, I don't know anybody, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that feels the way he feels about his mother to this extent. Like, he worships her Mm -hmm. pretty much and you can tell she's basically the most important thing to him the most important person certainly and uh he he gives her a gift and it's got you know it's a it's a lavalier i believe is what it is and it's got a it's got diamonds on it i love she says you didn't do anything wrong did you (laughs) he laughs laughs and he says no and then he sings her a song and while he's singing her one of the songs that he's going to do in his show his father comes back in
2: eyes smiling at me, nothing but blue sky do I see, oh, to-to, bluebirds singing up song, nothing but little bluebirds all day long. I never saw the sun shining so bright, never saw things going so right. noticing the day, Hurry and by when you're in love, or oh, don't they fly? Blue days, they days, all of them gone. Nothing but blue ties from now on. You like that, Mama? Yes. I'm glad of it. I'd rather please you than anybody I know of. Oh, darling, will you give me something? What? You'll never get. such your eyes, Mama shut them for little Jackie. Oh, I'm gonna steal something. <laughs> I'll give it back to you someday, too. you see if I don't. Mama, darling, if I'm a success in this show, well, we're gonna move from here. Oh, yes, we're gonna move up in the Bronx. A lot of nice green grass up there, and a whole lot of people you know. There's the Ginsbergs, the Guttenbergs, and the Goldbergs. Oh, a whole lot of birds. I don't know them all. And I'm gonna buy you a nice black silk dress, Mama. Uh, you see, Mrs. Friedman, the butcher's wife, she'll be jealous of you. Oh, no. Yes, she will. You oh, see if she no, isn't. Oh. And I'm going to get you a nice pink dress that'll go with your brown <laughs> eyes. No, I, I What what do you mean, no? Oh, no who who is who is telling you? Pink, what do you mean, pink? no? Yes, you'll wear pink or else. Oh, no, no, no. Or else you'll wear pink. And <laughs> darling? Oh, I'm gonna take you to Coney Island. Yeah? Yes, I'm yes, gonna ride on the shoot-to-shoot. Shoot? Oh. And you know, in the dark mill. Yeah. Ever been in the dark mill? Oh, no, I would. Well, with me, it's all right. I'll kiss you and hug you <laughs> feel right <myself. laughs> now. Mama, Mama, stop now. you are getting chitnished. Mama, listen, I'm gonna sing this like I will if I go on the stage, you know, with this show. I'm gonna sing it jazzy. Now get this. Blue size, smiling at me 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 nothing but little blue signs do i see do 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 blue birds singing a song nothing but little blue bird, all day long you like that slapping vision never saw the sun shining so bright never saw things going so right noticing the days hurry by when you're in love oh don't they fly blue days all of them gone
1: and it's thunderclouds and drama and he says wait no no i've brought you a gift and it's a prayer shawl." Prayer shawl. <laughs> I, as prayer soon shawl. as he brought the,
0: that box out i <laughs> sat there i thought oh please be a prayer shawl
1: <laughs> uh, it's such a funny little moment it's interesting too because it they slip this little joke in kind of almost under the radar but it's during a moment where you're just on edge waiting to see how his father's going to react mm-hmm. and Their interaction is, it's just so interesting to me. (laughs) It just is, it feels again so genuine. Not, not staying, not saying that it's the most convincing acting I've ever seen, but every, but it hits every note you know the the parents saying you've got no respect for your elders you know you don't have any respect for man maybe it's just my upbringing but the whole god isn't going to forgive you for this kind of train of conversation is just and then the music swells and it's that song that everybody has ever heard in any tragic song you know and and I thought good lord is this what that's from (laughs) I don't think it is I think it's a symphonic piece but it just put a whole new spin on that that part that song to me where I thought, well, gosh, now for the rest of my life, anytime I hear that, I'm going to think of the jazz singer.
0: The, the acting in this scene is phenomenal, uh, between, especially with uh, his father. Warner Oland plays the, the cantor Rabinowitz. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in him that he still has love for his son, mm-hmm. but he's a man of principle. And he has put his foot down and said that this is the way it needs to be. And so you could you, you see inner conflict within him, mm-hmm, yes, because he wants to embrace his son, he wants to love his son, but he's not going to go back on what he said before mm-hmm. because I'm the father and I I made this decision and I'm I'm living with it. And so he still you know turns his back on his son and oh it it pains you.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it, it's
0: it's a brilliant moment.
1: Oh, and then when Jack says, "I came here with a heart full of love, but you don't want to understand," mm-hmm. and I thought, "Gosh, that's really true, too." I mean, the person that feels like they've been wronged consistently through this whole thing is him. Mm-hmm. But then he still comes back. He still comes back with gifts for his parents, determined to reconnect with them. And it just, oh man. Oh, man! <laughs> Before we go much further, there
0: is that uh, moment when he's singing the song for his mom yes, uh, when he's singing and he stops and starts talking to his mother, that was ad by 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 Jolson,
1: mm, and you can kind of tell, yeah, and you can tell it was being recorded in the moment, yes, oh because absolutely everything is spot on there's not it's not voiced over you can tell,
0: yeah, and it's um. I mean, we should be thankful that the director decided to keep it in because that's that's burning up time of this music Mm -hmm. soundtrack. You know, absolutely. (laughs) You've got a finite. This is this is going to put us over budget kind of thing. But it was so natural. It was so fantastic. And again, it's just one of those moments that. The audience has had to sit there and just go, "Wow, that's really cool."
1: Yeah, it's so great. <laughs> and it's a great his...
0: moment between him and his mom, and exactly. Both, even though he's ab living, she's just rolling with it
1: because mm-hmm.
0: she's sitting there and it's like, "Oh no, I'm not beautiful." Oh no, you you
1: stop it. You know, it's so <laughs> yeah. cute. It's really cute. Oh, it's such a great moment. Oh, it, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. That's it. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> Well, gosh, from there. Oh, it then we... it
0: really gets moving after
2: that.
1: <laughs> he goes and uh, goes to the theater and sees Mary again, realizes she's the one that got him the gig, basically. Mm-hmm. And they're so happy to see each other. It's so cute. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a
0: great little, you know, uh, it's a great little uh, romance without being overly romantic, um, you know, kind of, it's not in your face. It's yeah, just a real dramatic. nice. Pleasant romance between the two of them.
1: It is. It's sweet. It, and it feels friendly mm-hmm. and also, you know, warm. Yeah, they, and then, they both understand each
0: other. They both understand that their careers are important to each other. No one's asking one to give up, you know, anything oh, yes. for the other.
1: I love that. I love that they're not like, well, you know, how are we going to make this work? We can't make it work. No, we can both have a career at the same time. I'm like, ah, well, they, once, they don't do that at all. Once we get
0: married, your days on the stage are over. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Right. I just want you to settle down and get a normal job with my father's factory. There's none of that. <laughs> and I oh, love I was, that there's none of that. I was thinking
0: the other way is like, well, once we get married, you won't be able to be on stage because you'll be at home with the baby. You know?
1: Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I was trying not to go with that, you know. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, um, never mind. We're gonna, just going to move on. Anyway. <laughs> but, and then immediately uh his father is sick. Yes. Falls ill. Def, Which I, I have Ill. to think was the result of his visit because yes. he worked himself up. Yeah. And they
0: even mentioned that he'd been sick since the visit. Yes. So it, it happened rather quickly right after then.
1: So. Yeah. Man, and then it there there's another thing that happens in this that I love, and it's th- that on the eve they they give you a title of the day that this is happening, and it says the eve of the day of atonement. Mm-hmm. And oh, I get it, I gotta chill just saying that out loud. The I, it is extremely heavy handed foreshadowing. But it also is – it plays in so perfectly to the themes in this movie because that's what this is. This is a story about Jewish tradition and about somebody trying to break away from that but still being caught, you know, still wanting to be part of it. And so – and then, of course, just the title itself, you know, because you're – that's what – that's the real story in this is, is a man who is wants to reconnect with his father who won't accept his life choices. And – Man, oh, just that, like reading that title, I thought, the second time I watched it, I thought, oh my gosh, wow, somebody was dead on with these, like with the scene setting. Like, holy cow. And
0: I think what's great, because of the quality of the film up to this point, I honestly didn't know which direction it was going to go.
1: Oh, definitely. And oh my gosh, through genuinely all the way up until... He walks out on stage. The last time he walks out on stage, you don't really know what's going. Like you don't know mm-hmm. how it's going to end. Oh, really I, I love it. I mean, guessing. I
0: don't. I don't really mind uh, the, the spoiling it or whatever. But you know, the idea is they want him to sing uh, at the, at the synagogue. Mm-hmm. But that's the the rehearsal for opening night for the yeah, play.
1: It, yeah, it's the same night as opening night.
0: And you know, he's like, No, this this is my big break. This is what I've been working for my entire life, you know, all this and everything. But in the end, he gives up that 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 chance, that opening night. They actually, you know, he goes and sings at the synagogue. Oh, you
1: like leapt way ahead. There's so there's a moment, well, okay, before that even I have to touch on this, uh, his mother comes to see him asking mm-hmm. if he'll come back and see his father's father's ill. And uh well, actually, even before his mother gets there, he's talking to Mary. She says, You seem distracted. I think you're worried about your father. And then she asks him, Is anything more important to you than your career? What and he says, No, nothing is and she says, Not even me. And I held my breath. And he says, No, not even you. And she smiles.
2: <laughs> oh, I wanted
1: to jump up out of my seat. I was she said good I'm so happy to hear you say that and I thought this is so amazing this is a woman who has been like this in her career nothing has been more important to her than her career for her to have suddenly said oh why won't you why can't you love me more than your career would have been such a break from the character and it's I love that she's uniquely in a position to understand him well and so after this at the point where she is standing with the with the plays producer on one side, literally on one side of Jack and his mother is on the other side. She's lighting the candles for the Sabbath, you know, and she's light and she covers her eyes to do the, the traditional prayer. And literally he's got showbiz standing on one side of him and he's got his mother and his tradition standing on the other side of him. And he says, I have no right to turn my back on either of these. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> like And, in, in it's a drawn out scene. He's going back and forth and going back and forth and oh, I'm about to cry again because there's so much tension and longing and and conflict in this moment. And then the next thing that we see is the plays producer in front of everybody saying, "There's not going to be a show tonight."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you go, "Oh, like, oh. <laughs> I." I understand, but I'm kind of sad because this has been so important to him this whole time. And then, oh, my gosh, I'm going to cry. Totally going to cry. I (laughs) cried when I watched it right before we started recording this. And he sees his father, you know, and his father is extremely ill. And his father tells him, I love you. And and before all of this, and then after all of this, and we find out that he's not going to sing in the show, you see him singing in the synagogue, his father passes away. And mm-hmm. there's that moment with his father behind him. Oh, God. Oh, it, oh my gosh. And you're like, okay. It's the Day of Atonement. Oh my god, I'm cry. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get a happy ending after all. Yes. And then yes. even after that, we still get a happy ending. Yeah, the season and passes so and time
0: heals. The show <gasps> goes on. And he finally gets his chance on stage on Broadway.
1: That's wonderful. And he gets it's to sit so there good. and
0: sing with uh with his mom in the front in row. In the front row. <laughs> her her and Moisha Yodelson. <laughs>
1: So um yeah that was the end of the jazz singer so thanks for uh, joining us for this episode of Orphaned Entertainment just kidding yes. we're absolutely going to absolutely going to rate this thing
0: Oh yeah but, but I don't think it's going to come to any surprise on our rating so
1: No and and I there's one thing that we skipped over that I really do have to bring up Okay um Werner Oland, the uh, the canter mm-hmm. Jackie's father is Charlie Chan? Yes, I know. It's <laughs> like Charlie Chan for years and years and years, and now that I know that, I can't unsee it, which is kind of a tragedy. <laughs> but he's he's wonderful in this movie. He's such a great stodgy old canter, mm-hmm. but it is kind of also wonderful that it's his father is Jackie Chan, Charlie ja- Chan. Jackie Chan, Charlie Chan. <laughs> I do that every time. I'm so sorry, Mr. Chan. Sorry, Jackie. But yeah, no, it's Charlie Chan. So I just I just that cracks me up in... Yeah, so so yeah, I guess let's go ahead to ratings.
0: I can't give it anything (laughs) other than a five. I mean, it is an astonishing (laughs) film. It really is. If we had a scale higher than a five, I think I'd I'd give it. This is probably one of the most significant and interesting and surprising films I think we've watched in in the last 10 years. Mm. I mean, I definitely went into it. Knowing it was mostly still silent, but it was going to have these little bits of sound and, you know, that I didn't, I I've, I never watched it up to this point. I had never bothered to watch this film despite it, its historical significance. Mm-hmm. And everything about it blew me away. The story, uh, like you were saying, the music, um, the fact that the music is very intentional throughout this thing. It's not just random classical pieces that they mm-hmm. could Get because they were free or something, which is very (laughs) typical for the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, just the uh, the depth of the story, as well as the technological achievements in this film, all of it is just astonishing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I can't give it anything less than a five.
1: Well, you disappoint me. I uh, thought you would come up- I'm kidding. <laughs> so I have to look up one more thing before I give my rating because I think I saw something in this movie that I meant to research before we recorded this. And then I it completely slipped my mind until just this moment. So I have to look up the jazz singer real quick. Sorry. Just, you know, mm-hmm. pause the recording. Oh, darn it. Can't see. Okay. Anyway, so after carefully reviewing the film, I have to say I actually am not sure about this or not. But I know at the end of the movie, uh, not only do we have Mother in the front row and we've got Udelson there. And then we've got Mary standing off on the side behind the curtains. And Mary's got a ring on one of her fingers, which may or may not have been an engagement ring.
2: Mm.
1: Can't determine that. But uh, just a little side note there. But, um, yeah, this movie literally, I cried talking about it during this podcast. So of course I'm going to give it five of those there. Again, I have to go back to this movie. I don't think it was, I don't believe that it was preserved the way it's been preserved because it was the first major movie to incorporate talking and singing in it. I think it's because it's such a good story and it's so well performed. I think that's really what has made it preserved so carefully. And, um, and I, having said that, I wonder how many other films that were out at this time that came out around this time or slightly after this time, that we've lost that were of this caliber. Because as we know, there are more movies that have been lost than we've than have been, you know, than we have in circulation right now. There's so many, so many movies that were lost to time. But this one, um, I think it was really preserved because it is, I think, on every front, just an excellent movie. It's just an excellent story.
0: Or we're just very lucky that it has the historical significance and the technological uh, significance that allowed it to be preserved. Because, mm-hmm. like you said, without that, it this could easily have been one of those it could have been lost. movies that were lost. And we are so fortunate that it was lightning in a bottle in this case where we have just a stunning film and it happens to sort of herald in the next era of filmmaking.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah, astonishing. Just so much fun. I I had way more fun watching this than I ever thought I was going to.
1: (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent agree. Yeah. And I think, you know, (sighs) there, you're going to you can find things wrong with anything if you want to nitpick at it and there certainly is no such thing as a perfect movie that i can think of but um man this this comes for its era as close to that as possible
0: Nope, absolutely this would be a fantastic if you've never seen a silent film before this would be a great film to watch
1: except it's not a silent film that's true well that's why <laughs>
0: That's why I'm saying it would probably be a great one to, to, to start with.
1: <laughs> Ease your way into it. I, I, I yeah. would go with some Harold Lloyd films. There were some funny oh, Harold Lloyd <laughs> films. That's true. That Safety Last
0: <laughs> was pretty damn good. It
1: really was. <laughs> and then go from Safety Last to The Jazz Singer and, and on from there to Rain, maybe. Oh, us just, you know. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I, I think... I think that's pretty much everything I had to say about it. Yep. Yeah,
0: no, I think we've we've said it all. It's just fantastic. I can't recommend this one enough. Please go and watch it if you've not seen it already. I, I feel a little bit ashamed that this is the first time I've watched this film.
1: I, I am genuinely, at this point, a little surprised that this is the first time I've seen it. But I have to admit, I think that if I had seen it before now, or at least very far before now, I probably wouldn't have appreciated it the way I do. Mm. I think that doing Orphan Entertainment for the last... Ten plus years has given me a much greater appreciation for for film than I would have had otherwise. Uh, even even having studied it, uh, you know, at college, some, I think that I have the maturity now to really appreciate this film that I may not have had five years ago. Yeah. So I think I'm I'm happy for the timing of it.
0: No, absolutely, and I, I think because we've seen so many other films around this time too, and you know, good and bad, it kind of mm-hmm. gives you. Gives you an idea of kind of where it places. You know, were all the films like this in 1920s No, no, <laughs> no, they were not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Too bad, but no. I mean, frankly, if they had been like this, if they had all, there was another thing I, I noted down. The store, the uh, structure of this movie is. Th- Extremely similar to modern movies. Yes. Well, I was saying before that this
0: film was very ahead of its time.
1: Yeah. Well, but it's got a runtime of about an hour and a half, like Mm -hmm. most modern movies. And then the high points and low points of it, they strike right at the the right time. It, you know, keeps clipping along. Like we said, it's just interesting. It fe- it doesn't feel as much like a 1920s movie as it does. Like just a good movie. It's, it's kind of interesting that it, it almost doesn't, even though you have those visual cues that this is an old film, it doesn't feel like an out of date film. It feel it. It's got all of that same structure that we have in the best movie put out last year. Um, Which, in my opinion, by the way, I'm kidding, I'm not going to get into that here. (laughs) That's not why you guys are here. But um, if you guys do want to talk about your favorite movie from this last year, then uh, join us on the Discord. And how was that for a tie-in?
0: They're very nice, (laughs) yes. Come join us on any of our uh, social medias, uh, especially the Discord. That would be a really great place. There's Really, it's just pretty much Lydia and I right now. (laughs)
1: But it is fun to get to mention, hey, I watched this movie this week. Hey, I saw this movie, and this is a little bit of what I thought about it. And it might remind you of a movie that you haven't seen in a while that may not be out of copyright, but which you might want to revisit.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And that wasn't even scripted. Darn, we're getting good at this. It's like we've been doing it for a while.
0: All right. Well, Lydia, thank you very much. This has been an absolute joy. It's so much fun. It was a fun film to watch and even a more fun film to discuss with you. It was Really great.
1: I have to thank you for picking it because it's not one that I thought about. I thought, ah, you know, the jazz singer, everybody knows about that. Right. But I really didn't. And so I'm really glad that you picked it.
0: Well, and we had to kind of celebrate it. I wish I had thought of it a little bit in advance. We would have done it earlier this year because January of this year, it, the first year that it officially became public domain mm-hmm. so as with all the other films of 1927 so we may silly we may see other films of the same era in contemporary in future, films contemporary yeah. films and future <laughs> yeah. episodes hopefully
1: we'll find another of its caliber i don't expect to but we'll <laughs> no, see
0: no no i'm afraid i do not <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for this month. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, thank you to the people who wrote in and, and gave us the letters and our suggestions for yes, some films. Thank you. I think I'm going to go look at some of those right now, actually.
2: <laughs>
0: and we'll be back in a month uh, to talk with you guys again. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.
1: Bye.